Welcome to Gathering Gold. This is Cheryl Paul. And I'm Victoria Russell. In today's episode, we are talking about the season of summer. So in the last two episodes, we talked about these micro transitions of nighttime and morning, these daily transitions that we have. And today we're talking about being in the transition of entering into summer and what we experience in the season of summer, some core feelings that arise and things that we might want to pay attention to in this season. So we are recording this episode on June 21st, which is the summer solstice. So a very appropriate day to be recording. (laughs) Yes, and when I was outside sitting in the grass, gathering my notes and my thoughts and grounding before coming in to record this. And it's been sort of a unusually hectic day. Um, So I was very happy to have some time to sit and feel into the day that it is June 21st. It is summer solstice in this hemisphere. And as soon as I named that and sort of stepped into it. This is June 21st. And I remembered, not that I forget, but I remembered consciously that starting on this night, we start to lose minutes of light going into December 21st, this the winter solstice. And so it's this incredible paradox that I think we will be unpacking and diving into more for, um, the course of this episode of stepping into the first official day of a season of summer or winter, if you are in the Southern Hemisphere, while recognizing that whatever the season holds, that we think of summer as this time of fun and light and sunshine and water and sprinklers and pools and beaches and vacations, that there is also this element of loss. And it really encapsulates and speaks to the heart of what the highly sensitive person always feels, is always holding that paradox of love and loss, life and death. And so when I was sitting in the grass and I, it's like it almost took my breath away and I could feel this wave of sadness, of grief coming into my chest, into my throat, um, as I stepped into this awareness of we've been moving towards this day since December 21st, and we started to gain minutes of light back. And I I love that moment in winter, in the dark of winter, of knowing, oh, at least we are gaining minutes of light. And then for the six months arcing, our planet tilting, whatever it's doing scientifically into June 21st, and then we arrive at this apex, this beginning, both an apex and a beginning of a season. And then we begin our descent once again. And so for me, and I think for so many highly sensitive people, to let that grief in, to notice it, to breathe into it, it's so rich. It's it's a type of ritual to be sitting here with you, Victoria, doing this recording on this day, that it's a real honoring because I think so much of this podcast is about honoring those micro moments, honoring those moments of grief that are are embedded and sometimes hidden and pushed away, but are there within the joy. Yes. It makes me feel so grateful just to be noticing it today because there have been times where I have not slowed down enough or paused enough. I think I talked about this in the last episode about morning when I was just on such autopilot. I wouldn't have necessarily noticed mm. that it was the summer solstice. And I feel really grateful to have to have slowed down and to have this time even just to notice and name it. Yes. And that's so important. And what I want to say to that is you may not notice consciously. Mm. And there have been plenty of important days 
in my life, anniversary days or a day like this that I didn't notice consciously, but my body memory, my unconscious, we, we feel it. And so when we don't slow down enough to name it, and there's nothing in the culture that would encourage us to slow down and, and honor and ritualize and name, well, let's just go with just name it, let alone ritualize it. That when we don't do that, but we are registering it because we are such deeply feeling and sensitive beings that we register the shift in light and we register the tilt of the earth that when it's not consciously named is so often when it comes out sideways and morphs into something like anxiety or depression or picking a fight with your partner. Mm. I've never done that, no. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> when I was a kid, I would be counting down the days until summer vacation started and mm. until, you know, the official start of summer. And as soon as school let out and it was officially summer, I was counting down the days with dread <laughs> until summer <laughs> ended and mm -hmm. I remember just always doing these like mathematic gymnastics in my head of like trying trying to to convince myself that oh there's still a lot of time there's still a lot of time you know mm -hmm. like well summer doesn't officially end until this date there's still mm -hmm. plenty of summer and I, I just had this anxiety not just about the dread of going back to school but mm -hmm. just about always wanting to make the most of the time that I had, always yes. wanting to have a summer that lived up to the picture I had in my head from movies or books or what I heard other kids talking about that was the right kind of summer and just a joyful, lived to the fullest summer. And and also the when fall came and the new school year started, it was such a marker of the passage of time and getting yeah. older. So... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is exactly what I think gets called up in this season. And so as a young person, it might be centered around school and the countdown, but it's not really about that. You named so many important archetypal pieces. It's about making the most of summer and what, it, what I think it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be all fun and parties or romance or whatever we think it's supposed to be in whatever stage of life we're in, um, and, and, and then the passage of time and the markers of that. And I think there is something in the passage from summer into autumn, um, starting a new school year as a child, but then as an adult, also the recognition that um, one more summer has passed. And so there's something about summer that archetypally, it's a heightened awareness of the goodness in life and wanting to capture the goodness of life, of childhood, of sweetness, but also wanting to live up to some kind of expectation of how we think these stages, these seasons are supposed to be. When I was thinking about this episode and I was out walking one evening last week and it's so lovely to be able to walk in the evenings and it's so warm and light and I was thinking about summer and what immediately came to mind was very vivid memories and I think my most vivid memories I have of childhood and I think my happiest memories as a child happened in summer um, and this one memory flooded up to the surface of being at my oldest brother's birthday party, probably several of his birthday parties, which his birthday is at the end of May, very end of May. And it was one of the few times of year that we were allowed to eat bonbons, um, <laughs> which maybe not everybody knows because I've never really seen a bonbon since, but they're these little clumps of ice cream covered in chocolate. Um, and we would be out in the backyard all of my brother's friends, I must have been two or three or four. We had a swimming pool, and it was probably one of the first times we were in the pool 
of the season. Um, and I think about family vacations, primarily going down to a beach uh, south of Los Angeles in the summers. Um, and for sure, some of our happiest times were at that beach close to San Diego, um, a different place we used to go up to family camp near Santa Barbara. And I think about um, the 4th of July and being, again, very little, maybe three, sitting on my mother's lap on a picnic blanket, the rest of the family all in the blanket watching the fireworks in the park. And even as I share these memories now, I feel a wave of grief rising up because my family started to splinter apart as an adolescent and then it completely shattered um, before I left for college. So for me, and I think for many people, happy memories of childhood are bittersweet because they carry both the longing for that time, that finite stage of life called childhood, and it's a very short stage in comparison to, you know, if we live a full life to age 90, childhood is this tiny little time. Um, and so it, and so the memories carry the longing for that time and also the grief that it's over. And I think also some grief um, that the fantasy that I had about my childhood is over, meaning that as a child, I thought, that we had the perfect family. And it was only later that the cracks started to be revealed. And they were quite significant, those cracks. But as a child, you don't necessarily always see that. Like a fish doesn't know it's swimming in water, um, unless it's very obvious. But if it's dysfunction is, is more subtle. It's, um, it's common not to see it at the time. And so the longing for the perfection of childhood that I had in my mind, even if that perfection wasn't real, right? And it can never be real. So there's again that holding of the tension of opposites, and that's a very Jungian term, to hold the tension of opposites, to hold the happiness, which was absolutely real. Those were very happy memories. And then hold the grief that is both current and also probably, probably some grief that I was sensing into as the lightning rod in the family, as the highly sensitive, although I think my brothers are also very sensitive, um, the grief that I probably wasn't able to, well, I know I wasn't able to feel into at the time. So it's if you could see me, I'm holding out my hands to my sides, hold like cups holding in one hand the joy, the happiness of the memories, and then also the grief. Um, and even thinking about my brothers, thinking about the closeness that we had as children, thinking about summer was the time that our grandparents took us camping every summer. Um, and it was so special. It was so magical and sleeping in a tent with my middle brother. And then again, like I could cry that the sadness that I'm not close to them anymore. You know, we're, we talk, we're in each other's lives, but it's not that same closeness that we had as kids. And so in almost one breath, and of course missing my grandparents so much, but the the gratitude, the joy, those memories of those camping trips, so special. And then, oh, and now it's gone. And now they're gone. My grandparents are gone. And, and the, that type of relationship I had with my brothers, that innocence, that purity, the fun, the games, the imaginary places that we went together, especially my middle brother, gone yes it's having so many flashes as well when you were speaking of moments in my childhood of summers you know mm. and 
and being so aware of it even at the time that it was fleeting. <laughs> that was always so hard for me as a kid that I was so aware of it. <laughs> yes. um, I was reading through the section of your book, The Wisdom of Anxiety, about uh, the seasons and about summer specifically and about how we can we can use the the rhythms of the natural world to kind of attune to these core feelings that that come up and in the book you write about that that happy childlike nature of summer but at the same time there's always that other side of the coin that where there is the happy child there's also either the grief of that happy childhood being over or the grief that it never was. Mm -hmm. I think that can be so difficult for people, the sadness yes. over something that you didn't have or that you had for a period of time and then it was gone. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's so important to name um, that – a lot of people would not describe their childhood as happy, as, you know, as to use one word to describe an entire stage of life. <laughs> um, you know, when clients come to me and they say, I had a really happy childhood, I say, hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> that's what you think there, that is one layer, but nobody has just a happy childhood. Yes. Um. There, it's it's we are just far too complicated and complex as humans and as families to have only a happy childhood. So, when we harness, when we tap into the energetic, the invitation of a season, particularly right this season of summer, I think it very much is around the inner child, are uh, being willing to to move toward that place inside, that place of innocence, that place of, um, that place of innocence, but also that place of, of grief for however our childhood was and however our inner child is expressed today, that both will be present for everyone. It's the highly sensitive that are going to feel into those more subtle layers and, you know, you saying that you were aware of the fleeting nature of childhood, even as a child, I think speaks to the degree of your high sensitivity, which, mm -hmm. um, which is like, like my boys. I, I'm not, I wasn't aware of it as a child. I don't have that same degree. I think I have um, softened into that actually as I've gotten older, mm -hmm. but I wasn't aware of it as a child and I, I love that you were because almost everybody who finds their way to my work um, was, mm. was aware, um, always aware of the passage of time, of um, the fact that nothing lasts forever, right? And so another moment that happened in the past couple weeks as I went out to my garden and the rose bush that was planted in the corner of my garden before we bought this house 13 years ago has just bloomed in the most glorious way. And it's gotten huge over the years. And so when it blooms, it's just hundreds of pink roses. And of course, they start out as these perfect little buds. And they're so beautiful and then they open and they're like almost more beautiful if that's possible and then they reach their height of glory and then they fade and drop to the ground and there it is right there's the arc of our lives there's almost the arc of the four seasons the four stages of life, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, old age, right? Of how we, how we start out and then we blossom and then we step into like the fullness of our glory. And then, and then 
physically we start to wilt, but hopefully, right? And this is the piece of gathering gold is that we, we harness the wisdom mm-hmm. right? and we, in a sense, recognize that all of those stages still live within us. Again, it's the paradox. It's a leaving behind, a willing to grieve, but also a recognition that the child, the adolescent, the 20s, the 30s, it, it all lives within us. And so now, I'm about to turn 50, you're about to turn 30, um, all of those stages, in a sense, not only live within me, but live within me with more clarity, more beauty than I've ever been aware of before. And so I think that's very comforting and very important for the highly sensitive person because if we're only dwelling in that place of nothing lasts forever and all we can do is grieve and then it's over and gone, that's a pretty hard place to hang out. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, we're just going to kind of wilt like the, like the flowers sitting in the vase a few feet away from me. Like, they're all sad and wilted now. <laughs> <laughs> they were so gorgeous five days ago. But, but it's also recognizing the beauty in the wilting and the beauty in it's getting away from this idea that the grief is bad and that we have to move through the grief to get to the joy, that there's gold in the grief. And that there's a recognition that as we go through stages of life, we both grieve and gather them in. They become part of us and they become part of the richness of of our souls, of our humanity. I'm so glad you said all of that. It so perfectly encapsulates the kind of non-linear and cyclical nature Mm. that, you know, when I was writing notes for this episode, the image that came to me was, you know, an apple on a tree that eventually, you know, falls off, but there's seeds inside the apple, right? (laughs) Yes. So there's all of it in there. There's the beginning, right? There's the full cycle within it. The seed is in it. Yes. Yes. That's such a beautiful summary of what I was trying to express is, yes, the cyclical nature that all the parts are contained within the whole. Um, It makes me think of a couple of pieces, which is that same pink, glorious rose bush in the corner of the garden Um, always reminds me of my grandmother. She loved roses, and when I sit in front of it, I imagine that she's inside of that rose bush, and it makes her memory, her presence feel very alive to me. And so there's this sense, and I think it speaks to a very non-Western way of seeing life and death, which is that they are both happening at the same time, when I move toward the grief of the fact that my grandmother is no longer here in physical form, and I allow that grief to be there, it also opens me to um, to her, to being in connection with her, that the grief is the connector, right? It's the umbilical cord that connects me to somebody who is no longer here in physical form. and And then I feel her. She's so alive to me so that the grief is one of those doorways into our aliveness and into a more cyclical and non-linear and non-Western way of viewing life and death and joy and grief, right? And these stages of loss that lead to rebirth, right? Nature, Nature teaches us that. Right? So here we are in this in this season of summer. We know that autumn's coming, that there will be a letting go and a death. 
and we know that winter is coming, well, there will be this emptiness and liminal, and then we know that there will be a rebirth, that it will all keep happening, right? That spring always comes. But the other place that flashed for me when you were reflecting was going out into the garden every afternoon when Everest was five and Asher was a baby and Asher would be taking his nap and it was my time to have some one-on-one quality time with Everest. And we would go into the garden and pick peas, the peas that we had planted together in the spring. And often a thunderstorm would come and we would gather up the peas and run back into into the screened-in porch and, and eat the peas while listening to the thunder and watching the thunder and so beautiful and as I was remembering that immediately the grief that Everest is no longer five Everest is no longer six I could see his sweet glowing golden face the innocence um, of his five six-year-old self And then knowing that he's at this very moment, you know, driving himself into Longmont 20 minutes away, going to a meeting on his own. But what flashed when you were reflecting was another layer of that, which is there are many moments, and Dave and I comment on this, he comments on this a lot, where Everest will have an expression And he will look exactly like he looked when he was five. That the five-year-old is still in him. It's still Everest. And our five-year-old is still in us too. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't leave really. And so again, it's holding both the grief that that stage of parenting is over. My kids not a baby and a five-year-old, they are 12 and almost 17, but also the recognition that they are still my baby and five-year-old, right? and that, I, that we literally still see an expression, the light, some, some, golden, some golden child that, that comes out, not always <laughs> by any means, but it's there. I said to you earlier that I see that childlike nature of summer. And I also often really associate summer with adolescence and young adulthood. Maybe mm. partially because we see a lot in in pop culture, like in movies and songs, like all these like coming of age and you know, the summer that she became a woman or the summer that he became a man, the first love, the first kiss, like the summer camp stories are very (laughs) kind of, you know, a motif in the culture. But there's Mm -hmm. also just something about that, that meeting of like blooming and loss. So like the loss of childhood or loss of some sort of innocence alongside Mm. really blooming and I'm always really fascinated by integrating that that adolescent or that teenager that is creative, you know, like when we look around we look around the world in summer and things are so colorful. Like nature looks so creative. There's a wildness, there's a it's such a sensual season just in terms mm. of a feast for our senses of beautiful flowers, juicy fruit fragrant Mm. fragrance like you walk by the ocean and you smell the salty air or you walk through the woods and you smell the honeysuckle and it's like intoxicating you know Mm. um and I really love a midsummer night's dream uh the Shakespeare play Mm -hmm. and so I often think about that just like this lush forest and these yeah these people falling in love and misbehaving and (laughs) and all Mm. of these things Yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm wondering if you have thoughts about kind of that, like the juicy nature of something that's maybe creative, wild, you know, that desire, Yes. you know, and how, and kind of tapping into that without getting, there's also an element I think of getting swept away or carried away by that, that I think of, Hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, I love that you're bringing in that piece. I think when something shows up that strongly in the culture, those motifs of first love, becoming a woman, becoming a man, it's its often because they are tapping into an archetypal layer. Mm. Um, and certainly Shakespeare <clears throat> is the king of archetypal psychology mm. and poetry, and he, he names it always. Um, so A Midsummer Night's Dream, this sort of mix-up and lushness and adolescence and love and, and wildness and abandon. And, and I think this sort of anticipatory feeling of I'm at the beginning of something Mm, Um, I'm at the beginning of you know like like this chest opening and sort of running into the into the meadow um, feeling of fullness and aliveness and what might happen Mm. this summer Um, I love that and I love what you shared. I'd love for you to read it. Okay, so this is called Midsummer Dream, and it's based on a real summer, but also mm. really inspired by a Midsummer Night's Dream. It was summer, and we were staying at our school in the forest, and one day we shuffled into a dark lecture hall to watch a Midsummer Night's Dream, and mostly everyone else was not watching, The seats were lit like fireflies by soft cell phone glow. They were all whispering and giggling, but I was watching. I was watching so closely. All those lovers loving the wrong people, all magic juiced up, all love in idleness, and the flower was purple with love's wound. Oh, but it felt so good. And that fairy nesting with the donkey man, and those nymphs naked in the water, and everything was lust and chaos, and when they woke up, no one remembered a thing. And that morning, when he and I were talking in the wood-paneled room with the portraits and books, he got distracted, said he couldn't hear me because I looked so pretty, and I thought of my boyfriend in Boston and blushed, and in the forest we all brushed elbows and locked eyes, and at night, when they took shots upstairs, I lay in bed and thought about him and my boyfriend and the naked nymphs, and I dreamt about removing my clothes and donning a crown of flowers and stepping slowly into the water. I just want to sit for a moment and and luxuriate into those exquisite words, Victoria. Mm. Mm, I have chills all over. I'll tell you what's coming up for me. Yeah. And you're you're usually the one who plays the role of the choir in our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but what about Yeah, yeah. There's I'm imagining people listening f- feeling maybe inadequate or that what's like the what's wrong with me mm-hmm. that I don't, I'm not in touch with my sensuality or I don't feel that way about summer. Um, and so I just want to, to name that and just bring some curiosity to, to that piece if that's what's coming up for you. And also the reminder that however a season is for you, it's okay. It's really okay. Um, because I know that, let's say there is a lot of expectation of how a season should unfold and, or there's pain, um, maybe even trauma connected to a certain time of life or a certain season, or, you know, maybe for you that summers did not include family vacations at all that there was not closeness with siblings, that there was not a feeling of wild abandon and anticipation and romance, that there could be a lot of pain being stirred up even right now. And I think that that speaks to the heart really of what we're talking about, that this is sort of the season of, of the child, the inner child, however that is for you, 
whatever your relationship is to childhood, teen life, sexuality, so much pain around sexuality for everybody, so much confusion for most people. And so I want to make some room for that. And you know, it's sort of, it reminds me of, of the post that I referenced, Season of the Fallen Flower, that when there's this unilateral expectation of anything, of joy, of celebration, of romance, that, and we, and not that we're doing this in the episode, not that we're sidelining grief because we're not doing that at all, um, but that grief can so easily become sidelined or longing or nostalgia. But I think, again, that grief for what was and the grief for what wasn't. Mm. Yes, I I can totally hear the relationship anxiety, right? <laughs> like, hmm. like you said, kind of the sexuality spike or spikes about crushes or cheating or, you know, not controlling your self, your urges mm. or something, you know, and that to me, it's like, that's why I, I wanted to bring up like the creativity and yes. the wildness, but gathering the gold of creativity and wildness. And it doesn't have to be something that rules you. It can be mm-hmm. something that you don't have to be afraid of, if that makes sense. Like for me, I like to put those things into poetry because they... Mm. They confound me. There's so much pain. There's so much longing. There's anxiety. Mm. There's confusion. There's, you know, trauma. There's just all sorts of stuff. And yes, I don't, you know, a part of me can get really stuck in that, in that phase of life. Like, oh, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that in my, like, coming of age time. Mm. And now, like you said, I'm going to turn 30 in like two and two ish weeks. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be, I want to be able, like we were talking about earlier, I want to, I don't want to banish the part of me that um, can feel desire and mm-hmm. tap into my senses and be creative. Like in the same way that I don't want to banish joy because I banish grief. You know what I mean? Mm. Yes. It's such an important piece to highlight and underscore in terms of gathering the gold. It's, it's, it's what do you do with the question of, okay, so I feel it, I name it, what do I do with it? I don't want to get stuck there. I don't want to drown in my grief. I don't want that to be the end point. I don't want to drown in my longing. Um, and so... It very much is tapping into the energy of this season is one of creativity, aliveness, the blooming, the harvest, the abundance, the senses like you were talking about. That's what we can tap into as we allow ourselves to feel the fullness of our beings, the full range of emotions, whatever gets ignited, activated during this season always, but especially we're talking about this season of summer. So feeling into the grief, the joy, because there's also fear in feeling joy, right? Um, Excitement, anticipation, longing, and being able to gather all that up. And like you're saying for you, put it into poetry, which is also a vessel for me. But for anybody else, put it into anything creative, put it into a recipe that you invented, put it into a gesture, some way that you move in your body, start to move, put on music, gather it up, be with it, and then move with it into some kind of expression. Sometimes the expression is you just sit down and and weep. And sometimes the expression is 
creativity. And sometimes the expression is some kind of spiritual practice or breath practice, movement. So I think there are layers, there are veils that are lifted during summer. There's this sort of bright eye, this brightness of the sun um, <laughs> on this summer solstice where there's, there's less shadow. There's more clear seeing. We can see, and that's not always a fun thing, but it's a rich, alive experience to, to see, to see through the brightness of the day, of the sun, of the light, the hours of light, and to see our child self, to see those memories, to let those percolate up, to step into the adolescent self. You know, whatever pain and joy and longing and nostalgia and regret and guilt and excitement may be living there, that there is a heightened opportunity always at these transitional times. And we are in one right now. A heightened opportunity to see more clearly, to gather it up, and then to, to move with it, to express it, to place it in some way. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so interesting because when we talk about like integrating those different parts of ourselves as we go, I think that when I was younger, summer was like the opposite of clear seeing. <laughs> it was like mm. all hazy, just like the air was humid or smoky mm. with the, the fire, you know, the campfire and it's smoky and humid. And it's just like, it felt like all of the um, wanting, all of the aliveness with without wanting to acknowledge any of the grief of, mm. um, oh, childhood is ending. Oh, this thing is ending. Oh, I'm getting older and not seeing um, the beauty necessarily ahead. So now that I'm a little bit older, I can I can see more clearly and not get as swept mm. away mm. by everything that's going on in summer and all the expectations and the things I want to avoid and all of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think summer is also this time when there's such a disruption of our routines. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes there's disruption of our routines because there's parties and so much celebration and maybe even vacation. And so you can really try to run away a lot um, and escape, or you can also mm -hmm. be totally overwhelmed and like burnt out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I really like that you named kind of that clear seeing um, mm. because we can still find it, right? Like we can still make space for the stillness and being in solitude. We can carve out that time. We might need it even more amidst all of the disruptions and parties and celebrating and escaping and running away and vacating, right? Yes, and speaking of the disruption piece, like this is the first year that our kids have been in school, meaning it's the first year that I've had the contrast between a school schedule and a summer schedule. And I, we're like scratching our heads, Dave and I going, wait, wait what? What are, we, what are we supposed to do with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we had our routine, we had our rhythm, we had our schedules, and I really liked it. Um, you know, they were off, they were gone from eight to three, and it was all very clear and structured. And now it's like mayhem and chaos. Like, I don't even know what day it is. They don't even know what day it is. Yes, I still have my work schedule, but all of those other windows of time that I had in between when they were gone and I wasn't working, those have been pretty much obliterated. <laughs> um, so I think there is this very much a topsy-turvy, disoriented, overwhelmed feeling, um, very much for parents. I know it's a common experience of, oh my goodness, summer is here. What are we going to do? Um, and yes, how much more important it is to find those even small windows of stillness where we can come back into ourselves, our separateness, our clear seeing, 
Um, and therefore, hopefully also be more present, not only with ourselves, but with our kids, you know, now I'm in this countdown, speaking of countdowns of, oh my goodness, we only have three more summers before Everest goes to college. (laughs) And another wave of grief, um, you know, the moment is going to be here that I, that I grieved about when he was 10 days old and I was sitting on our bed in Los Angeles nursing him and it occurred to me that in 18 years he would be gone. I mean, not permanently gone, but off into the world. Um, and that here we are. It's, it's not that he won't come back for summers, but I'm sure there will be many summers that he won't come back. He'll be doing something with his friends or he'll be in an internship. It's, it's like the end of his childhood is so near. Um, and it, it, it reminds me of another piece that I wanted to mention about, you know, this, this piece of nothing lasts forever. And yet, you know, we're also naming the piece of that, but the paradox embedded in that of, but also it all lasts forever. So mm. It's like holding both of those, right? The, that summer symbolizes like the beauty of now and the sweetness of, of the past, that there's this intersection of opposites, the heat rising and the light diminishing, the intersection of darkness and light. We're ascending into the height of summer as we're descending into the darkness of winter the intersection of joy and sorrow, heat and cold, that we are, we are feeling it, all of it. And the more we can name it, um, the more we can express it, move with it instead of it getting stagnated inside and morphing into anxiety. But this, this piece of nothing lasts forever, the fleeting nature of childhood, of our children's childhood, um, and this, see, I think I've become more highly sensitive since I had kids. And since I, um, not that I wasn't feeling into these underlayers always, I was, but there's something about ha- having kids and recognizing how short childhood is, how precious each stage is, and also how hard each stage is. It's like always holding both, like, oh my gosh, my baby is the most precious, angelic, being on the planet, and yet, when am I going to sleep? Now, <laughs> when is this stage going to be over? But no, I don't want it to be over. But, but yes, I really want to sleep. And, and so there's this feeling, not only for parents, I think for all highly sensitive people, of wanting to stop time. Mm-hmm. Wanting to preserve this moment, especially the sweet ones. Right. That how do we, how do we stop time? Well, of course we can't. How do we stop them from growing up? We can't. And I think part of our obsession with scrapbooking and photographing is an attempt to stop time. That if we record it and document it well enough, we'll somehow preserve this moment. We'll freeze it in time. And then the irony being that we can spend so much time photographing and videoing our kids that we miss the moment. You know, how many times Asher has said to me, Mom, put down your phone. You can't, you're missing Tashi. I'm like, no, but I have to get it for Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) He's so annoyed at me and like, bless his heart, he should be annoyed at me. Um, but how often we miss the moment because we're sitting there behind our cameras. And so really, like the way to preserve is to inhabit it fully, Mm. to be as present as we can. And that means making room for the sorrow. It means making room for whatever emotion is present in that moment. Trusting that we won't get stuck there if we feel it fully. You know, there's these, there's these arc of emotions that we learn about that if we feel it fully, it lasts 90 seconds. 
I don't know that that's entirely true, but that's what I've heard. And that we, when we're willing to acknowledge what is true and present in the moment, every time I feel that wave of grief rise up into my chest, whether talking about, you know, Everest being five and now 16, or my childhood being over and my family splintering apart, my grandparents being gone, that when I feel that wave, even just pausing for a moment to name it, to breathe into it, that I am paving the way for the joy and for, you know, in a sense, the preservation of this moment. Not that I will necessarily remember every single moment in time. We're not supposed to do that. But that by inhabiting our moments more fully, that by becoming more present, and of course, that's a lifelong task to become present, <laughs> to, to be in the moment. That's, that's not something that we can easily do. But when we can, and I think the emotions are one very powerful doorway, as are the senses, like you were talking about. That's why poetry and having, having the headlight mindset of a poet is so powerful. The smell of the ocean, the, the breeze, right? The, the roses that are just budding, the fireflies, that our senses, our sensual experience, our emotions are these gateways, these doorways into being more present. And that perhaps summer, it's one of the gifts. It's one of the ways that we can harness, tap into the energy, the invitation of summer is that summer offers us because of its, its clear seeing, because of the intensity of the colors, the abundance, the, the, the peach juices dribbling down our cheeks, that it offers us this opportunity to come into our senses. Mm-hmm. And our hearts. Yes. I love that. I love that. It's in the slowing down that we can yes. really experience it. Yes. 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 Even slowing down one moment, right? It's not easy to do. And it makes me think also about how, you know, for some people, some people can't take vacation during summer or maybe they mm. feel really lonely and they're not going to parties or celebrations or or they're feeling like they're not experiencing those things the way they should or the way other people do. And I think especially, you know, when you talked about Instagram, it's such a, a time that's just I mean, always, but just rife for comparison. And um, and like you said, it's that you've said this before, how that is the moment when anxiety can come up, when you start to think I should be feeling this or I should be experiencing this. Yes. Um, and I was just thinking about how Instagram doesn't show mosquito bites and sunburn and poison <laughs> ivy and... <laughs> Hey, no your children, <laughs> your children beating each other up and yes. screaming. <laughs> yes. And so like, mm-hmm. right, it's just all, you know, the juiciness of life contain- includes you're walking through the woods with those magical fireflies and you're swatting away the mosquitoes too, mm. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And we're just, you know, when you're present for it, you're present for it all. Yes. And it's sort of, it's like this, this unmasking or this demystifying of a story, a fantasy of perfection. And it's painful to do that. And it doesn't mean that the goodness, that you're tearing down all the goodness. That's true too. And so I think that that's another opportunity, invitation of summer in on the topic of childhood, that we have sort of the golden child experience. And then we have 
all of those layers that we either could see at the time but didn't maybe have words for it or a support system for it or we just couldn't even see at the time. Yes. Yes, I think that's where it's so interesting to see the the haze clear mm. a little bit as we as we get older if we are growing up <laughs> with our age, right? Um, yes, that some of that haze of summer and that not that not clear seeing can lift and then we can really and then it gets really juicy, I think. <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That is where it gets juicy, where it gets interesting. That top layer of the perfect story or the fantasy of the perfect family, it's really not that interesting. Yeah. And it's just not true. It's not true for anybody. And so as painful as it is to to crack it open, it's it's there is so much juice and aliveness there yeah. as well. And that is the gold. That is the gold. Cheryl, you, you mentioned a blog post about summer um and it would be great to hear you share a little bit from that post yes so i wrote this um july 9th 2017 and i will read about midway down we find ourselves here in the height of summer a few days after the holiday of the fourth of july where the expectation of parties and barbecues those ultimate experiences of the extrovert ideal that dominate our culture is at an all-time high. And in the sanctuary of my sessions, I hear about the sadness and loneliness that my clients struggle with when their holiday doesn't match the culture's expectation. If only we could widen our culture's conversation to make room for the introvert who resists big gatherings, or the sensitive who, upon waking up on the 4th of July, is tinged by a shadow memory that leaves a thumbprint of sadness on her soul. She tries to push it away because today is supposed to be fun, 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 but it doesn't work. And finally, she remembers that it's okay to feel sad on holidays. And if she can make room on her picnic blanket for the sadness and open to the memories, she'll make room for the joy as well. She remembers then, like the yin-yang symbol, there's a dot of death in summer and a dot of life in winter. And if she can open herself to these paradoxes and polarities, she might find more ease inside herself on this day and in this life. And if she could stop in the middle of the heat in the middle of a summer day, especially in the middle of a holiday when expectations for joy run high, and turn inward long enough to touch that dot of death, she might connect to a memory from childhood, to a day when she sat by the pool or at the lake's edge and felt happy and safe, or sad and alone, and no matter how she felt, she would breathe into the bittersweet nostalgic sadness that arises now from knowing that that moment is gone, that her childhood is over, that her original family no matter how healthy or dysfunctional, and every family has shades of both, has dispersed and reconfigured. And if she could breathe into that pang of longing on a hot summer's day, she would have practiced a moment of accepting that people are prisms and life is paradox, and a moment that she wanted to push away was instead metabolized into spaciousness and transformed into rain. And her heart opened because she let herself feel exactly what she was feeling. The grief is the medicine. The self-compassion is what opens our hearts to love. Ugh. Drops the mic. Cheryl drops the mic. <laughs> so beautiful. Mm, thank you, Victoria. If people want to find that blog post or your blog in general, they want to find more of you and your work, where can they go? Yes, I am at conscious-transitions.com. That's my website. And at Wisdom of Anxiety on Instagram. 
and you can find me over at my other podcast, Perennials, or on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. And if you are enjoying Gathering Gold, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate it, leave a review, share with a friend. It helps other people to find the show. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening.